0: Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for a conversation with Michael Samuels and Michael Lerner as they discuss dancing bears and Greek gods.
1: Michael Samuels, welcome back to the new school. Thank you, Michael. Michael, you are a physician, an artist, a guided imagery specialist, and author of one of the Uh, foremost uh, uh, books on body, mind, a set of important books on body, mind, and spirit medicine. You wrote the Well Body Book, the Well Baby Book, the Well Pregnancy Book, uh, and a lot more. Um, And your book, uh, Seeing with the Mind's Eye, was the first book on guided imagery and is a classic in the field. Um, So you've done a lot more than that, but I'll start with that. You went to Brown University where you studied yoga and shamanism uh, under Bola, Carlos Castaneda's teacher. You then went to New York University College of Medicine and became a research immunogeneticist, studying how white blood cells make antibodies. After your residency, you you were with the public health service as a physician on the Hopi and Navajo reservations. After the Indian reservation, you moved to Bolinas, and left medicine to become a, become a photographer. And you learned about art and healing through this period as a professional artist and teacher, and then went back to medicine as a public health physician for Marin County. Uh, and in that role, you founded the- uh, Edlin's Clinic with Irving
2: Oil with in the, the Presbyterian Church, Mans. Right. Well, first it was the oil slick. Yeah. That's how it started with the right. clinic in the bird place that cleans birds the Marin.
1: Right. Marin College. Or whatever that And thing that that is. clinic included massage, body work, relaxation, meditation, guided imagery, and with Rolling Thunder, Native American shamanic medicine.
2: And Dneograms an with Helen Palmer.
1: Really, you did any grandma too?
2: Well, she had, she was doing psychic medicine from it, but she was, wow. had a lot of people. Everyone else in the community. That clinic, if any of you, I don't think any of you remember it. Do you? Oh, sure. Uh, <laughs> you do. Yeah. That that was in the building next to the Presbyterian Church, and it was Irving Oil, who was an osteopath from New York, uh, had done bread and puppet theater in New York, and had had it with allopathic medicine. So his bargain with me when we finished the little clinic cleaning the birds was, I'm not going to do any allopathic medicine, only what I love. So the room was theater. And anyone who walked in, the healers were there for the day, whoever they were. Color healers, uh, love healers, guided imagery, therapists, acupuncturists. And someone would go in a room with one of them after they would kind of act out what was going on. And that was it. And we were billing as a Marin County emergency room and insurance, no, no money. And we'd split it in a communist fashion with whoever ever there that day. And then we'd go to Tarantino's and smoke dope and try to figure out what happened. <laughs> was, what about John,
3: Doss?
2: John Doss was there, and was also, also Marty Rossman, and also El- Elson Haas. Mm-hmm. We had, through the years, we had, it was open maybe two or three years, and those physicians wandered through. I was stuck with allopathic medicine, which was a strange. (laughs) And they were kind of well running away from that. But it was a school. It was a hand silver mind control went
4: through.
1: Now silver mind control. Well, before we get to silver mind control, because that's a big idea. But tell us a little bit about uh, your experience with Rolling Thunder.
2: The R.T., Rolling Thunder, R.T., came through the clinic, and I don't, we don't know why he was called here. And he would do ceremony on my land on Hoshville Road at night. And he taught us protection, because that was one of his big models that he was into. And he was a suck healer. Rolling Thunder, I don't know how many of you know who he was. He was a very gifted medicine man who also was an eco, uh, way ahead of his time in ecology. And he could stop bulldozers from taking down trees. And he traveled all over. He wouldn't take any money for healing, which is what he taught me. So I've never taken money for healing, which my children liked a lot. They said, Dad, we need clothes and cows aren't any good. Or <laughs> <laughs> it's not that time. Anyway, but um, he moved things. And now there's a couple of new books out, The Shamanic Powers of Rolling Thunder. And I was his Western doc, and he'd come sleep on the the land, do plant medicine and deep guided imagery and extract things. So he was a pre-bear healing shamanic healer. He'd sniff, and he'd find out what needed to come out. He was some kind of animal. I don't know what kind. And he'd suck it out, and then he'd leave the circle, and he'd throw up into a piece of meat and burn it in the circle. You let go, it goes into bear the eagle swoops it in into the fire, it goes to the fire, and it goes to the creator. But we don't have to throw up, it's easier. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Good. Now this, that was RT, and um, he could see. He was a model, intuitive healer. He, I don't know whether he sniffed it or felt it, but he would go right to what needed to come out in the person, mm-hmm. and then he'd suck on it there, and then he'd do his throw up. I'm a bear dancer with Native Americans, and there's a lot of that built into the bear dance technology. The bear walks, we're carrying bear, we have nothing to do with it. And the bear does what he does. And then the people will come at the end of the dance and say, I've had chronic arthritis on this joint for 10 years and on five drugs. Nothing's ever helped. Your bear came right over, touched it, and now I'm pain free. So that was rolling thunder. He was like that. He'd come over to somebody and people who could see could actually see what was leaving, leaving. And like when we dance, the Aki's with the Indians of Carlos Castaneda. They've come to the dance and uh, medicine women have come and afterwards they'll tell us exactly what happened. We I can't see it. But she'll say this, boom, boom, boom. And that, that's the kind of visionary technology of shamanic healing that's available to everyone. Everyone can do it.
1: Well, I want to say something both to listeners and to those uh, who are with us today at Commonweal and Bolinas. Um, what we're going to be talking about today are a set of belief systems about the nature of healing and the nature of inner reality that simply are not widely shared. And I, I simply want to label that uh, if you... Personally come from a materialist scientific paradigm that there's nothing but physical reality, bless you. Um, if in order to listen to that this, from that paradigm, it really is quite important to suspend disbelief. Um, if you come to this with a curiosity about the mystery of the nature of the universe. Um, then um, that takes you a step further. If you come to this with some firsthand experiences of the nature of the mystery, um, perhaps this will expand your sense of what you have experienced for yourself. Because I have experienced for myself uh, the power of healing in what are called the other medicines, Mm -hmm. um, other systems of belief. I've experienced that for myself. In 30 years of doing the Cancer help Program here, 195 week-long retreats, I have experienced the power of other realities entering people. Um, And I've also witnessed uh, intuitive diagnostics, remote healing... And people discovering that the shamanic ability resides within themselves. And so um, we're really speaking to that reality today. We're speaking to the intersection of the very ancient tradition of dancing bears, going back to shamanic times. We're speaking of the Greek gods. And we're speaking of intuitive medicine. And, and Michael has worked for over 40 years in that intersection of intuitive medicine, dancing bears, Greek gods. So I just wanted to say that. And so, going back to where we were, because it's a good starting place in, in this, what was the clinic called in Bolinas? Headlands, Headlands Clinic. Headlands Clinic, right. And I was here when Irving Oyle was here mm-hmm. and so on. Um, But, so, into this mix comes um, uh, this um, uh, teaching method, silver mind control, right, uh, that you learned extraordinary things from. Could you tell us what you learned?
2: it's It's one of the things that I talk about now a lot is that um, we have medicine, we have allopathic medicine in hospital systems. And right now, and you go to medical school, you go to college, You work very hard and you learn a set of systems. And right now, one of the things that I see happening tremendously is that uh, the whole new generation of young people, a lot of them very young, who know that they're healers somehow and understand that this is not what they want to do. So they'll go to India and learn yoga. They'll go to Vietnam and learn some kind of plant healing. They'll put together a whole set of healing tools. And in my life, if I, if you... And these tools, I think, come from the self, from the soul. They're who you are. They're a gift. And one of the Indians that I dance with says we're all born with a gift. And it, the gift is, for, is hidden by uh, our culture, our parents, our school, all of this. And then what you love, of course, is the, the um, things you put together that make the gift. And then the clouds clear away. And in healing, I think we're all born as... Healers, and we all can see and we all have visionary abilities. I, I, I've always said that. I still believe it, even though there are people that you wonder about. But when they pull it away, and then you look at your life and you look at who you are and why you become, and it's like an inventory list. So if I look at my crazy life, all the things I was doing in high school, junior high, prepared me. And none of them made any sense. None of them were linear and none of them were logical. Because the new medicine that's being created is neither linear or logical or planable or understandable. And now every day I get all this email from people in some crazy country doing some crazy study. Why am I here? And they're waiting for an opening that'll mean their own healing modality. And I think these healing modalities are way, way, way more creative than we can plan or study for. You can't have a course for them because they're wild. And so the bear dance for me, which is kind of the end of the tunnel, where the Greek goddesses um, things, these are where I'm at now at 75 years old, after the whole story. But everyone has these stories. So when you go back in your own life and you go directly to what you've loved the most and healed you the most, that's your path. So that's the yes, beginning of absolutely. that's the beginning of intuitive medicine. So everybody in the room has the experience of rolling thunder, seeing inside, and understanding. So when Silver Mind Control came here, I had already done, studied with Alan Watts, studied hypnosis with David Cheek, who was the best in my residency. and done surgery with it and these kind of things. The natural childbirth relaxation for all. Uh, yoga tools, and these didn't make any sense. Where were they going? I was now a photographer in Crazy Bolinas or something like that. And we were in Headlands Clinic one day, and this guy walks in and says he was a certified silver mind control teacher. And uh, he was giving it to us for free because he didn't like the technology and the money behind it. And he trained us in spirit guides, spirit animals, and intuitive diagnosis. An intuitive diagnosis, we were all, we'd write down an illness we had or something and sit next to a person. And then you'd close your eyes and you wouldn't know anything about them, not even necessarily their name. And then you would just talk. And what we found as a class with that group from Headlands, which was a special group, because everyone there was had come out in a healing path. And literally, there were color healers, there were love healers, aura healers, autogenic training experts. Um, And we could all, most of us could see as precisely as an MRI machine. It was really so spooky that we all got scared. And so I basically went out of there, and I was county physician from Marin, uh, doing well baby, venereal disease, uh, family medicine, all these kind of things. And I'd stand with the nurse in the little room, me being who I am, and I'd take the chart, and I'd intuitive do their story. I'd tell the nurse and I'd walk into the room and then this would kind of happen. And this is kind of, in one way, it's a parlor trick. It's like using powers when you're doing yoga, you don't want to do that because that's not what it's about. But in medicine, it's actually the beginning of the voice that's inside you that listens. So that when a person is talking to you, when I work with somebody and I work with Uh, The people I've worked with have been cancer, end of life, fertility, spiritual, can't get back in their bodies, child abuse, child sexual abuse, the gamut of a lot of different things. And they come in and they start talking. And as they're talking now, and this comes right from Silva and right from Rolling Thunder, all of my teachers have kind of done the same thing, as I'm kind of, there's words happening. And most of them are not interesting or relevant and then but i'm seeing like what's going on in their body and i'm seeing light rays coming in and i'm seeing them outside and i'll never say to them this is what i'm seeing i'll ask them what is happening because i don't want to plant a story or especially a wrong story in them it's not about me and this kind of seeing I think is really the core of what we're talking about. But there's another step to it, which is when I'm moving around this room with the bear skin on, and I officially agree to the technology, which is I'm not here, I'm carrying bear, the bear's doing it. Okay? Then the ego-human logical systems go. And then you are there's an intuitive seeing that happens. And if I give it to bear, okay, it's bear intuitive seeing. So what is that? It's confusing. So the bear walks up, touches somebody on the hand. I can't see them. I don't know why the bear has walked up to them. And it touches exactly what? And they're better. Okay. So some there's a beyond intuitive form that goes into you when you actually channel spirit. When you move from ego to the something larger that you carry, whatever you can call it bear, you can call it Artemis, you can call it, and that's kind of what we're going to go into. But that is easier. And in one way, a psychiatrist once told me it's giving up responsibility. Okay? Which is nice, right? There you go. I don't have to do anything, bears doing it. But what it actually is, I think, I th- I, at this point in my life, I believe, there's no time and space, there's a lot of illusion. Uh, we're all connected, and that's the truth. So that any other models that are not that, are dysfunctional for this kind of feeling. So when you blow out of the thing, you blow into no time and space, you're not there at all, and you're all one, and then you become love. And these are, of course, just words, and they're very trite, but this is actually the way it feels, the way it feels in your body. And when the, bears, when the bear really goes, I had in the dance that I just came from, I, someone was, the bear came up to someone was leading them in the dance. uh, And it was so unbelievably beautiful that everything disappeared. And there was just beauty and light and bubbles. Mm -hmm. And what I wanted, my prayer was that the person I was, my bear was dancing. And when the bear danced them, they became bear and they were in the story, Mm -hmm. was seeing this. So in other words, what's happening, Rolling Thunder would say, you become a dyad, you merge with the person, there's no more Duality. There's no hierarchy. You see out of their eyes, and suddenly the whole thing explodes, and you become one. And that's where the that's where the healing comes from. So that's really what we're talking about. And all of these, the bear is a kind of, you know, the bear was a, Michael started this. The first bear altars are eighty thousand years old in Middle France. So they're indigenous Europeans. We're all Europeans, but we've denied our indigenous European. They're gone. We don't use them anymore. In Greece, in 1,500 BC to about 1,000 AD, the goddess Artemis, her spirit animal was a bear. She could turn from Artemis, who was a goddess, not a woman, into a bear and be seen as boat. And she had a temple where about 50 to 100 little girls lived there and danced in bear skins for 2,000 years. And they first they did skins, then they did naked, then they did white dresses. The technology, the dance changed over 2,000 years. And that dance was preparing them to be adult women. It was, that was the technology that they had to spiritualize them so that they could do this. And now the animism is, it's an almost, Bears I'm dancing with now are researching it. They're telling me, oh, I want to know who my ancestors are. I know it's not just Native Americans, which is maybe 2,000, 10,000, something like
4: that.
1: So, you have a home on the island of Tinos in Greece, where my wife, Cheryl, and I have visited with you and your wife. Um, And on Tinos is this um, church um, where pilgrims have come for how long?
2: The, the, the Tino, says it's the sacred island of healing women
4: mm-hmm.
2: in, the, in the Mediterranean. This is my crazy view of it. It's not exactly conventional history. And in my view of it, first, there was a snake healing island. Because Athena, who was uh, the goddess of the city Athens, she had a little owl about this big. It's a, the, the breed is species, a little owl. She would change back and forth from... And in the earliest times, the animals were seen more. And this is all of Greek mythology, all of Native American mythology, if you want to call it that, it is it is mythology, um, is is an oral tradition that later got written down by poets. So the Greeks wrote poetry over maybe three thousand years, two thousand years. That's a long time. So if you're a Greek poet and you're writing about the goddess Artemis, Artemis is a goddess of nature, wild animals, freedom. No husband, childbirth, um, taking ch- women away in childbirth who die. These goddesses are very complex figures, and they were non non gender based and non sexist. And it went away. And on the island I live on, Tinos, directly across it is Delos. And I just finished a book on Delos that's coming out in about a week or a day or whenever Amazon can get it out. And It's In the mythology, the poets wrote that it was the birthplace of the god of the sun, Apollo, and his sister, uh, god of the moon, Artemis. And Artemis was a woman, he was a man. Artemis was born first. And it's from a story, should I tell the story? Sure. But the story was written down over 2,000, 3,000 years. So a poet who wrote it, Herodotus or Homer, all these guys, mostly all men, which is something terrible, And they wrote this, which means none of the women's visions were recorded. What happened in the Temple of Artemis has never been written down. What happened in the Temple of Apollo was. And um, Zeus, the god of thunder, lightning, uh, the head god, or something, was married to one woman who was justice, who are goddesses. And they were third generation after the creation of the earth in mythology, mythology forms. They have all kinds of characteristics. And then he married another woman who was balance or something. And then he went to a mystical place that didn't exist in the North called uh, Hyperborea. And that was a place where there was no illness, no bad weather, uh, you didn't have to eat. It was like a, a paradise place. And he found a shape shifting woman who could heal, turn into different things, and was a magical priestess named Leto. And he had a love affair with her, and she got pregnant with the, god of the goddess of the moon, Artemis, and the god of the sun, Apollo. And then, then he left her and got married to Hera, who an earth the basic Earth goddess. And Hera put a curse on her that said the two babies couldn't be born anywhere on Earth or the sea. So she wandered, trying to birth these babies, and ended off on this island, Delos, right across from her house. But meanwhile, our island was the first place that women healed with snakes, which was the tradition of all Greek medicine. There were snake healers. Okay, what difference does this make? It's, they developed a healing system where you would go into a small room before the night and lie down to have a dream, and they'd fill it with snakes. Oh and then no snakes, first as the culture changed. And then that snake would come to you either as the god Asclepius, who was the grandson of Apollo, the god of the sun-born on this island, and they would take your dreams and visions of who you actually were in your intuitive space and blow that into you, so when you woke up you would tell it to an oracle, and they would tell you what to do to change your life. So the process was, there was an animal spirit who later turned into a god who would tell you who you are and what your intuitive space is away from your family, your marriage, your money, and then you had to make a life change to create it. And that's still the model. of That's the current model of healing. When we do a bear dance, the person sees something in the dance, something's released, and then there's a life change they have to make. They have to stop doing this that makes them sick. You guys all know that. And you have to start doing the thing that makes you healthy. And you actually have to do it. You can't just think about it. But first, you've got to have the vision of what those two things are. And they thought that animals and gods were the way to do it. Um, So on our island, first there was snake. And it's interesting to me the way this went historically. About 2000 BC to 4000 BC, there were just snakes. And then there were women running the snakes. And then they turned into the goddess of the sea, Amphitrite, who was a goddess. But she was the goddess of water, salt water, healing, and vaginal fluid, basically. So every single Greek temple that you go into historically starts with a cave and a spring. There were no men. It was the, the divine feminine has a cave and a spring. So when you wanted to, to go into your intuitive soul self, you went to this place. There was nothing there. You bathed in the water. You wet in the cave. You closed your eyes and wham. That's you, were who you were. And then that thing got a man somehow. She got Poseidon, god of the sea, who chased her to marry her. She didn't want to get married, and she, he sent Sue sent the brother to go get her, bring her back, convince her to marry him. And now they were two. Then the temple in Tinos. So that temple, when it was an treat healing temple, women came from all over the Mediterranean in ships. It was expensive. It was a difficult pilgrimage to go under the water, to get stuck. The goddess would then come to them, and just like the bear comes to you, they would do the healing with her in partnership. Then they would go into the sleep room, and then they'd come out and change their life. Then it turned into men. It turned into Poseidon. Then a nun had a vision of the Virgin Mary in 18... Then it went sleepy and Greek Orthodox came in. And then the nun had a vision of the Virgin Mary who said an icon of the mother and the baby, both women, were to be found. They dug it up. It immediately cured people of cancer, stopped ships from sinking, and it became the Lords of Greece. So I live on... So it went from snakes to water, to a female goddess, to a male god, to the Virgin Mary, (laughs) to a vision, and to uh, a miracle church. What is this? What's going on here?
1: So Um, for you, these aren't just stories. These are living entities. So when uh, Charles and I went to Delos with you, your experience is that you are in the presence of living entities. And you said to me that when a Greek person got sick, uh, the question they asked themselves was, to which of these gods must I pray or sacrifice in order to recover? For them, these were living entities.
2: Robert Thurman, the Buddhist scholar, a tantric Buddhist scholar and father of Umatha, <laughs> wrote really eloquently about this uh, in Buddhist technology, because the belief was that the gods and goddesses being drawn, or the taras and all these things, actually came and were real and were alive and did the healing.
0: You're listening to a TNS conversation with Michael Samuels and Michael Lerner. In
2: Greek technology, what they did with it is in the temple of Artemis. So let's go back to Delos. They were born there. Artemis was born first. So Leto was banished to this island in a spell. Uh, Somehow she escaped the wrath of Hera and gave birth. without Hera kidnapped the goddess of childbirth, so she couldn't give birth. So Hyperborean maidens, mystical, magical, shape-shifting maidens, came from mystical space and birthed Artemis. So, for another 2,000 years, half of the Greek women who could pilgrimage to this island before they had their baby came to the grave of the Hyperborean maidens to cut a lock of their hair off and have them help her with their childbirth. And they still do it, still real. And if it's switched to Virgin Mary, it's a minor switch because they're basically blown into visionary space anyway by the music and the raki they're drinking or whatever. So in on this island the temple of Artemis was the first temple built. It was a woman's temple. It wasn't Apollo. He was born 7 days labor later and she delivered him or the baby Artemis. So she became the goddess of childbirth. But when you went to when Greek women went to that temple The goddess was alive there and healing them like the bear does or like the Virgin Mary does. It was totally real. They dressed her every day, the statue. They washed her, they put jewelry on her, and she spoke to them in their intuitive space, in the space of visions. So they needed to go either alone, in prayer, in ceremony, or with the dream sleep oracle to where they could hear her. So now when I work with Delos, with Michael or with Charles or with anyone. We tell them the story. Sh- very brief story. We take them to the Temple of Artemis. We sit them there on it. And we say, no one has written down what happened in here, dear. Close your eyes and feel it. Go into your intuitive woman, dancer, singer. And they danced. The first thing they did, they came off the pilgrim boats. And a group of women called Delians. Danced them to the particular temple where they thought they needed the healing, and there were at least fifty temples, including the first Jewish synagogue outside of Jerusalem, in the diaspora. And they all got along perfectly well with each other. They they honored. No one said you could have a Jewish temple or an Egyptian temple or a Syrian temple. they were all there. And you got off the boat. You would dance by the Delians. And then something happened between you and the goddess of that temple. So for women, it was Aphrodite that was love and sexual love. It was Hera, who was the wife, the mother, and the protector, who could also become a virgin every year by magic. There was Leto, the mystical shape shifting princess. There was Artemis, the goddess of nature. There was so a woman would get off and say, "Hmm, What do I need? What what part of my divine feminine? needs to be awakened by going in here and sitting for three or four days with her. So we've been taking people there, men and women, and putting them there, especially women, because the men's stuff is a little recorded. You can write Homer, since they were writing 500 years apart, all these dudes, the culture changed. Even our our culture's changing. Even that one changed in 500 years. So the version of who Artemis was shapeshifted a little bit, moved. So there's tons and tons of writing. Apollo was the male, the patriarchal male, was the god of oracular power, music, medicine. He wasn't the god of war. Okay, this is a totally different divine masculine in in medical care. There's a new figure. We need this. In medical care right now, that's what Michael's doing. Michael's carrying visionary space, oracle, Uh, And then he also added music, bees, taking care of bees. These were complicated, multifunctional spirits that could do all kinds of things for you. They'd pull this out,
1: they'd pull this out. So I see, and we've talked about this before, I think the quote is from Jung, but could be from Freud, that um, we... We denied the reality of the gods, and now they show up in our therapeutic room as symptoms. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, the the depth psychology that carries this best for me is archetypal psychology, which, again, with Jung and uh, all those who followed him and archetypal psychology, they recognized that... The archetypes are not "quote" figments of our imagination. They are aut- autonomous energy sources within us. And Jung and others, Campbell asked, "Who is more alive? Is it me who is more alive, or is it the archetypes living through me? Because the archetypes living through me are, in fact, eternal. Archetypes are very, very long time. They may shape shift." But we all have these archetypes living through us. And so the Greeks, as you said, originally um, saw them as animals and then they saw them as women and then, you know, the men came along. Um, And I don't have a position as to whether the women preceded the men or the men came along with the women. I just don't know that. But I do know that um, when I understand myself as not a unified egoic structure, but as a witness place surrounded by a set of archetypal realities. And um, I can welcome these different archetypal realities into consciousness. Um, You know, the the beautiful poem by Rumi, which I can't recite, but I could easily find, uh, called The Boarding House... Um, which says, you know, you don't know who's going to show up. Uh, I may may find it while we're talking. Um, but, but welcome them all, uh, because they are preparing you for some new experience. So when we see ourselves not as unified egoic structures, because the ego is essentially an imperialistic structure that tries to create order and certainty, but if we go beyond that, which is the symbolic meaning of death in archetypal psychology, and open ourselves to the reality that these, these live through us. And so to me, that connects so deeply with the shamanic experience uh, and with the um, experiences with the Greek gods and uh, dancing bears that you've been talking about. It's um,
2: the way We're going to orient our, our conversation to uh, it's this strange conversation bears, goddesses and intuitive medicine because uh, all of these the bear is is can is essentially a gateway to your intuitive healing It's when you move out of the way of the logic structure and, carry, and bear is an archetype, I guess. You could put in Jungian terms. Or when you, when I take people to Delos, <coughs> um, and a woman sits on the Temple of Artemis, she's reawakening that arc, that uh, Jungian kind of archetype. I'm not, I guess the problem with me doing all this work for all these years now is the things actually become more and more real and then they disappear. So the the goddess Artemis in that temple is so real that when you go in there, that's all there is. And then you relinquish your ego and you become her. And then you see out of her eyes and she's huge. It's like the goddess of nature, animals, wildness, freedom, childbirth, With so many depths to it that you suddenly merge with nature when you're in that place. And you start seeing out of your eyes uh, what it feels like to actually not be separate at all from water and nature and nymphs and the people you're running with in the woods wild. And the whole thing that you're carrying now kind of goes away. And you live that archetype and it like catches you on fire. It's like, so we brought, you know, Michael, we brought Michael and Charles to the sacred lake on Delos where the goddess of the moon and the goddess sun were born. And they were born under a palm tree. So the French have planted a palm tree in the middle of that lake. They were born 5,000, 10,000 years or whatever it was. And so there's this palm tree. So you can go to the palm tree and you can hold it and you can close your eyes and you lie down on the ground. And the, the book I just wrote on Delos who's with a really crazy man, way crazier than I am, Who's a who guides in Delos every day as an archaeologist. And his basic theory is that it's, it isn't even the god, Ar, god Apollo and Artemis. It's the Earth energy and the sky energy, Mother Earth, creator Mother Earth. And there, it's still there and it's full power. So you lie down on the ground there, and that particular energy that comes out of that spot is b- rebirth creation energy. So if you want to go into rebirth and creation, you just lie there, and then the ground gets unbelievably hot, and then you feel your create being, creation being woken up in you, and you actually go to the place where the myth was born of them being born. It's, it's that crazy. So you're, it's, you're almost in disappearing it. But where you are for me is I really believe that, that there's a one soul before time and space that's all connected and you back in there and then the whole damn thing disappears. So these are all like technical devices to take you out of Hugo and push you back there and then you become infinitely creative. But to create a new medicine, we have to take the form that we're in now, let these things, intuitive things that don't make any sense come from everywhere, come from That's why you're bear dancing, because somehow this thing has found you. And the dancer has found you. The bear dancer has found you. Somehow it's necessary in your work. And then you go wildly everywhere with tools that you can't imagine. But it's difficult for you and for the medical establishment to home this thing.
1: Let me tell two short stories, Um of direct experience with you, one I think goes back to one of the earliest conferences we did on uh, art as a healing force, which was what year did you say it was, Linda? I think it was
3: 1990.
1: 1990.
3: 89
1: or 90. 89 or 90. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, we had one woman there who was spending the night uh, in Pacific House, and she had an out of body experience. And she told me about it as we were walking to our Pacific house. I had no idea what to do. And I don't know if you remember this, but I called you in, and you came in and sat with her in the room and helped her get back inside her body. And my memory was that you told her there was a thread that connected her. Do you remember this? Yeah. 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 And so you helped bring her back into her body which was one experience. The other very recent, when uh, I was in Paris and uh, my wife and I came to you with an old friend who uh, was having very severe back problems. And you spoke to our friend about her back problems and I asked if you might be able to help and you said, we'll see. And within an hour, her back was just profoundly relieved. You know, you didn't make any promises or anything else. So, um... Likewise, you talked about intuitive diagnostics and and the experience you had with Silva mind control and the capacity to literally see. And some people will say, that's crazy, that's unbelievable. But in fact, intuitive diagnosticians are well-known. And there's a whole set of them, some of them very credible. Um, And there's also a deep overlap with... um, Physicians who don't call it that, but who have discovered in themselves an intuitive sense of what's going on with someone. Um, Edgar Cayce is one of the great examples, the father of American holistic medicine, who had an extraordinarily well-documented ability to go into a trance, lie on a bed, be given the address and name of somebody. Mm -hmm. If the person wasn't at the address, he would say... I don't find the subject at the address. And then he could diagnose precisely what was going on. He was reading the body. And then he could recommend remedies that often nobody had ever heard of. So the thing is, in this deeply materialistic culture, we take all of these things and we push them to the sides and keep them fragmented. But when you spend as long as you have, or indeed as long as I have, just looking at this, there's this incredible hole that has essentially been denied, you know, deeply denied. Well, as Alan said with the gift, yeah. we all,
2: it's, he believes we each have a specific gift of what we're supposed to do on earth in this lifetime. And that gift is what you love, basically, of oh, Joseph Campbell, uh, follow your bliss or something. But that gets so squashed yeah. by parents, by critics. by mm-hmm. And art and healing for me was another part of my life where when you're an artist, you have a, one of two ways of working, I used to say. These are kind of not all so important. But you take a blank canvas and you move your hand and it just comes. Or you take a drug and close your eyes or vision and you see the exact piece of art completed and you just make it. And but whatever it was, there's an image coming to you from somewhere, and our theory in art and healing, which is not art therapy or expressive arts, it's using music, dance, visual arts or word uh, to heal yourself by this community in the earth, and visual arts, dance, music, and word put together within sacred intent to ceremony, not performance art okay so but uh, the question we were asking ourselves was. We believed that the process was self-healing, was homeostatic, and so if with intent you want to do ceremony, music, dance, whatever it was to heal, somehow images are coming from somewhere, which is what we were talking about, to heal you and all you have to do is birth them. So where do these images come from? So in the theory of images they come from memory, imagination, dreams, hallucinations, hypnagogic, hip- to it before you go to sleep, visions, hallucinations from your archetypes from outer space, it doesn't matter. Something is feeding you a set of images, but we're all taught to ignore it and not to, not to deal with it. So it's like, a, I used to call myself recovering from medical school person, whatever it was, because medical school is so toxic. And we're all recovering from materialistic ways of seeing, so we have to somehow, and the easiest way to recover is making art. Because you've got to, whatever it's going to be, music, dance. When you make art, you're free. When Deb dances, it's a whole different, you don't have to worry about the things that you can find your gift. So how do you incorporate that into a modern medical model of infinite open creativity to allow us to heal? The first way to do it is to just start doing it, to start seeing
1: I'm going to invite brief yeah. uh, comments from two of our physicians in the room. Uh, Dr. Deb Kohan is the director of the Foundation for Embodied Medicine at Commonweal. And Dr. Anna O'Malley is the director of a brand new project at Commonweal uh, called Natura. Am I pronouncing it right? Natura. And she will be taking up residence as the director of the Commonweal Garden uh, in the coming year. Uh, so, uh, Deb, just as a start, um, as you listen to us, any thoughts or reflections?
5: Oh, I mean, there are many things to say. Uh, I can speak from my own experience as um, someone who has an intuitive relationship with healing and um, and also as someone who likes to push the envelope that it's just been very, um, it's been very interesting for me to figure out how far to push things and how open to be um, about um, how I use these other modalities in, you know, a regular conventional hospital. And I um, I frequently come to it from a place of gratitude for people like you, Michael, who've really paved a way um, for me to honor um, this part of myself and it's and the other piece that's um, amazing for me is uh, you know there are certain medical students or people I know from the dance community who also work from an intuitive place and we have a look that we give to each other to give each other permission to to bring to bring that um, to bring that realm into these really conventional settings
1: thank
2: you it's you know you from what following your work from the dance that you did before your surgery which is incredibly creative and brave and courageous and it's almost like it's truly a different, way of dealing with matter. Because it is matter, you're getting a surgery and you're bringing music and dance with the staff right in there and completely changing the energy space that they're doing it. And now you're kind of constantly doing it in little ways I can see. You're doing Tai Chi to hold the retractor in surgery. And it's like you're, you're doing a merger of the two spaces within that form. That's the model that you're acting. And I did the same thing for a while. I would try to do it in clinic settings or in, pre- in hospital settings. Um, and then slowly, slowly stopped and, and started just doing it more one-on-one with people or, or groups or something. But what I'm, fa- I'm fascinated now, I've said this a couple of times, I'm repeating it myself, by the tools that we now available to us with yoga and with world cultural dances and with sound healing are so great and they're all being they're all coming out so fast and young people are going right there. They're saying I'm going to do that one. I'm going to do that one. I mean I was with a woman this weekend whose 26 year old daughter decided not to go to medical school. She would go to India. She would go to this country. She would do this and they both looked at her because they didn't understand what was going on and she was this was Total creative, open, new medicine, healing 101. She put together a whole new curriculum. And it's so open and so wild because all of these things, we haven't done them in so long. So, you know, this, the one part I'm talking about, which is goddess bear intuitive technology, is once more a window in it. And you have all the rest of them, what you're doing. I mean, who knows what happens if everyone in that operating room is dancing? Mm-hmm. With Tai Chi with the retractors, what the energy is is going to be. It's not the medical model, yeah. and it's much more interesting. It's much more fun for everyone. It's much. It's it stops burnout. It stops because mm-hmm. the whole model is so tedious. Yeah,
1: we've been taught. So, and for those who don't know uh, Deb Kohan's work, I invite you to Google Dancing Doctor Deb, uh, which has a YouTube that went viral where uh, Deb. Uh, who's a physician herself at UCSF got the whole surgical team dancing just before she had her breast cancer surgery. And it's completely astonishing and um, had powerful impacts on. Uh, it's one wonderful story about the. You heard about the little girl who. Uh, tell that story briefly. Just takes a moment.
5: Yeah. So um, this video went got on YouTube while I was asleep getting surgery. My friend posted it and clicked the public box. So it went public. <laughs> um, and um, this one girl, months later, three years old, um, her name is Jewel, and she lives in Ohio, and, you know, how three-year-old's glom onto a video. Well, that was the video that she glommed onto, and she was about to have ophthalmologic surgery. So for a month, she watched my video nonstop and mm-hmm. started calling herself Deb Cohen. Mm-hmm. And her mom sent me a video of her dancing, <laughs> dressed up as me. And like my videos, I can see in the background. And she's calling herself by my name. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I looked, as I watched her, she became me, and I was no longer myself, mm. and I was her. I was Jeweled the three-year-old who had, so she was doing all this in preparation for her surgery. Her mom told me she went into surgery not thinking to be scared, right, because mm. that's not the message that she had gotten, and that, in fact, you know, her memory, her her surgical team danced with her, mm. and her memory of surgery is you know, that it was a joyous occasion. Um, so she was able to recognize in me that inner joyous child who didn't know to be afraid, and then she reflected that back to me, so I was able to be reminded of, you know, the jewel inside of me.
1: Before I turn to Anna for her comment, I, uh, Sheila Oberman found me this, uh, Ruk, uh, this uh, Rumi poem called The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house, empty empty its furniture, still treat each guest honorably, he may be clearing you out for some new delight. Mm -hmm. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from the beyond. Mm -hmm. And then I'd like you to comment, and then I'd like to read Rilke on sadness for a minute, and then come back to Michael. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts?
6: I'm I'm so moved, Uh, just... I, I want to touch just briefly and one of the things that I've been reflecting on is the, the grief that, that those of us within medicine uh, who are creative and who are healers uh, and who really identify with with that desire to meet someone in their complexity and in their humanity and, and in, in the wholeness. Uh, the, the grief that, like could <laughs> bring tears right now, that comes with... Um, operating within a system that doesn't allow for that or honor that and the uh, just the liberation that comes from merging with with nature or with opening yourself to these these archetypal realities or the animating force of love and and you know really even even within the uh, the operating room or within the clinic setting you know as to the extent that we can open ourselves to that that great love you know it, it is um, it is a healing course that's available to us but for me i think what's what is really enlivening at this moment this time where so many young people are coming into medicine and and you know and out of medicine and and whatever sphere people are finding themselves in really looking at okay how how can we get out of our boxes and how can we align ourselves how can we attune ourselves with these uh these animating healing forces uh for for the greater good and i'm really deeply curious about how we can create uh, spaces where where there is the spaciousness where we we can get into ritual and ceremony and being held and and merging you know with each other with healing forces you know with with the rhythm um, being in our body and and really you know getting into that that embodied uh, place where a lot of healing does flow from and um, and so it's you know just just listening to this beautiful conversation and and um, imagining all of these these elemental healing archetypal forces that are available to us you know it's it's inspiring and um, and and thank you
5: for your work
1: and that's why you want to bring healing into the Commonweal garden as you already have as one of the truly beloved community physicians and bringing your work and doing work with patients in the garden because you believe so deeply and this comes back to michael's point about how the healing started with animal forces you believe so profoundly it's your been your dream since you were young of doing healing work in the garden
6: absolutely and and you know imagining where where do you find your bliss or where are you happiest or where have you gone for healing? You know, for me, it's been like, I'll I'll go and and climb into a tree and just allow myself to merge with the the being that is the tree and just give surrender myself to, to being supported by nature or by love or, but you know, for me, you know, lying on the earth in, in a time of transition has, has, has never failed me, you know, as far as a restorative path. And, um, you know, it's it's. I, I could only imagine what it would be like to be in these temples and on these islands where, where all that's just all so rich and just coming right mm-hmm. up out of the earth. It's um, it's
2: beautiful to hear you animate. I think Balinus is like that. Mm-hmm. I always I had my own myth. You know, I. It's funny. I I was reading somewhere, that we make up stories. The myths are all stories. The stories, are tools for meaningfulness to allow us to function on a higher level, perhaps. But the problem is they're logical stories. So they're not true. So you have to actually disconnect from the logic to find the energy and love that fuel the story from below.
0: You're listening to a TNS Conversation with Michael Samuels and Michael Lerner. And so
2: it's... But Belina's... The myth for me always was that it was a healing land, that it had energy from the fault, that it was Miwok healing, and people I don't know if they knows if these things were true, that it wasn't a place people lived. It was a place where they basically did ceremony. And somehow that's it always felt like a healing center for me here mm-hmm. and where Michael is and for all of us. So we're all living in a difficult way in a healing center where this energy was flowing through a lot of us and comes to us here. And that's commonweal and that's, you know, my guide would say it's coming from the ground. Look, this was Tesla, right? Tesla was here Mm -hmm. and it was not the cars, the real one. (laughs) And it's, no, it's, you know, this is who you are from a baby and it's this energy you carry. And you probably carry it into every patient encounter but now you make it more three-dimensional and real when it's actually got the plants. So so what we're kind of doing is we're making more intentional, clear, and visible what we carry. But basically, in one way, we're just carrying it. And everyone in the room carries it. When your pure love outside of your ego popped by your witness, that you're healing everything around you. You're one and you're in your space. And... Um, As a physician, it's your honor to hand your burden, as you know, to make it more beautiful and intentional, this piece of art. You're creating a piece of art, a being, a goddess. You're creating a a new goddess, healing goddess. We also have plants. You know, the Native Americans, I'm with, they say the plants are the most, the stone people are the most intelligent. That's the rocks. They're the oldest, the grandfathers. The plants are next. The animals are next. And the two eggs are just pitiful and destroying everything. Speaking of rocks can...
1: and the oldest ones, have you ever done any work with crystals? It's so interesting. I, I had an experience with a, a personal healing. I had no interest in crystals, but about two years ago, um, I picked up a, a, a tangerine quartz crystal and had an amazing healing of sort of a traumatized part of myself that I hadn't and I'd worked on for many years, so I got into crystals, and I, I, you may know this, and I'm not going to carry on at great length. But both for Edgar Casey and Rudolf Steiner, crystals, which come from the earth, which are the and they are stone people, and there are these exquisite things. And going back in many of the traditions, they were deeply important. And so um, I just found. Um, there's a wonderful book by the archetypal psychologist Robert Sardello called Steps on the Stone Bath about healing with crystals. He's a, a Rudolf Steiner guy. And um, anyway, I'm just checking to see. Uh, Sarah Brightwood, I, I just you've been listening to this and have thought a lot about these things for a long time. And without putting you on the spot, I wonder if you have any thoughts or reflections as you listen.
3: I experienced a bear dance in southern Oregon that was so powerful for me. It was a time when my daughter and I had a lot of symptoms from Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. And um, the three yurok dancers were so completely bare. to be in the presence, in the, in the sensory presence of bear and to watch bear medicine at work with the, the vomiting up and the throwing into the fire and, and the cycling through and the, how taxing it was to the individuals that were holding that space. and They were enormous men, they were enormous men doing mm-hmm. this work. And I thought maybe, maybe that is an aspect of obesity that we don't understand. Maybe that's an aspect of sacred hunger we don't understand that was meant to be in the community and given a purpose mm. and that doesn't get to express itself that way.
4: Mm. Um, it
3: was, that was such a powerful experience for me and I really felt there in the space. Um, I, have some, I have some dreams that I want to talk to you about. <laughs> That have owls and snakes in them Mm. that uh, have been important dreams in my life. Mm. I'm relating right now to the person who would stand outside the cave and receive the dreamer Mm. and hold the space and witness and help to interpret that dream. And uh, I feel the lack of those beings in our Mm. communities as well. Mm. So right now, I think what's really present for me is the sacred hungers, the, the rituals that would empower people relating to their dreams and their intuitive self, um, the healing and redemptive experience of doing art also arising from those dreams.
1: Thank you, Sarah. Um Our time is, uh, we've got another half hour together, and um, I want to make the best use of it. Uh, Let's just do a quick harvest of uh, people who have pressing brief questions. We'll take, say, three, and then let Michael respond as he wishes. Howard Dillon, yes. Uh,
6: Yeah, I wonder if you would just say something about the symbol that is used for medicine and doctors and so on, which is the two snakes mm-hmm. twined around a stick. Could, do, you, do you have any thoughts about let's,
1: that? Let's take three together. So that's one. Any other two questions? That Yes. I would love to hear you speak to... So I'm in the middle of a DC program, and I'm hearing you speak of all these young people going to India, sending these really open... Uh, modalities Mm -hmm. and I felt really called to receive a degree that almost initiates me into culture to have a window Mm -hmm. and so I would just love to hear you speak about that um I know it's a big question Mm -hmm. but I would just love your perspective well big questions are wonderful and that's a great one so thank you one third comment or question from anybody amazing. A lot of listeners in the room. That's always a beautiful thing. Yes, Terry. I've
4: always had a terrible, terrible fear. Fear of snakes. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. Terrible fear. Yeah. I think he's going to Bolina's school and missing right. a fly ball and right. the boys getting gopher snakes and <laughs> chasing... Them. I don't right. know, but I, right. I always have a fear of snakes. All right. Every step I take.
1: I so, will. great three great questions. Michael, thoughts on all three?
2: Well, snakes is the caduceus. So your question is the same as his question, yeah. Uh, and the Caduceus is—I don't remember it. My—I haven't used that story, so I forget it. But it's, it's what two snakes around a pole, with a being at the top with wings. Uh, it's one of the gods. I could Google it in a second, but it's—it's—it's it's, um, it's it's, again, it's it's Asclepius and Ascle- Asclepius Apollo, which is the. The basic first male god, other than Zeus, which is lightning, which is something else, um, and Zeus Apollo is this uh, oracular power for Greeks comes from bees, mm-hmm. and they were the bees were the first oracles, and it all it all comes from the animals, and it's funny because in our culture, New Age and Native American, the spirit animals. When I started working with guided imagery in 1970 with Carl Symington and Gene uh, we were the first thing we were doing was uh, something eating cancer cells. So the person would picture the cancer cell and then picture a white blood cell eating it. And that didn't work at all. That, automatically, the brain shifted to a wolf-eating darkness. It would go into meta... meta Metaphor and symbol forms and the snake is one of the most powerful metaphor symbol forms for for healing and Kundalini And when I teach art and healing and just open it up and the the course that I taught for many many years Was half medical people nurses free meds physical therapists or whatever and half studio artists They'd never seen each other before and they had the same assignment find something they needed to heal in their lives and then using music, dance, visual arts, word, or altogether sacred ceremony, heal it, and then present it to the class in 15 minutes. And you actually had to do it. There were no exams, papers, nothing you had to memorize, no contact. And we had constant appearance of snakes. Do you remember in the first Commonwealth Conference, mm-hmm. this woman, she, she had chronic fatigue, she drew, did a body tracing, she discovered it all herself. She didn't have a teacher, she didn't know anything about art kneeling. Somehow she figured, and she wasn't an artist, I don't think. I think she figured out that if she took her body and filled it for snakes for like three months, covering it with snakes every day inside, she got better. The snakes ate the virus or the organism, that she was suffering or was mono. I don't remember what it was. So, and then in my class, almost every year, there'd be some women or women who are having Kundalini experiences, often on buses in San Francisco, where suddenly <laughs> it's attractive. Suddenly they would go, Oh my God. And then flooding in every kind of image, all the art, all the homeopathic art, all the archetypes being. So, this caduceus was a. a Asclepian was the son or grandson of Apollo, who was the god of medicine. And this was his staff and Nike and the, the Hermes and the transfer. So it was basically taking snake power intentionally with flying to take you to the place of healing. Mm-hmm. But I, I, it's more than that because it's, it's also DNA. It's two rap snakes. It's also male and female um, it's funny that this is our we're doctors and we've got this crazy snake symbol. I mean, it, it's really interesting.
1: It's a way of reminding
2: way of physicians
1: reminding. of where they originally came from.
2: Yeah, and it's and you're carrying the, the serpents, our island, the original name of the island was the Isle of Snakes. And
1: the first was it Tino's act, or Delos. Tinos.
2: Tinos. And the first act of the patriarchy, Poseidon, when he managed to capture Amphitrite, the god of the sea and goddess of water to heal, was to kill all the snakes. Mm. Mm. And then they were killed ceremonially three or four times by the Greek navy. It's like people are obsessed by killing snakes.
1: And of course, in the Hebrew Bible, and in Genesis, I mean, yeah. it's about the snake as the, uh, as the enemy of the woman, and so on and so forth. But it's um, the classic Greek healing
2: frieze that they yeah. carved in marble was yeah. a person lying in the bed, And the snake coming up up from the ground over them and biting them, essentially, it was a vaccination, Uh a sacred vaccination. And they became autistic immediately. And the god God (laughs) was standing next to them, Asclepius, and then the psychic reader, who who was going to interpret it, was standing next to them. And the psychic reader is the symbol of intuitive healer. Because she's, while the snake healing is going on, She is living in the snake, in the god, in the person, and she can see it all. So she greets to them in symbol code, you go out right now and stop doing this crap that's making you sick, (laughs) as a code word, essentially. But it's, yeah, it's um, on our island, we have poisonous snakes, and we have friendly snakes. And uh, the poisonous snakes are killed by cats. So we have everyone in Tino's says as many cats as they can have. <laughs> and you don't get too close to them.
1: <laughs> and Cheryl like I... wanted to bring one of your cats home with her. Yeah, we
2: have a lot of... So We've what had... about
1: this gentleman's wonderful question? Okay.
2: Yeah. Um, what's going on now in my life in a lot of ways is you know you're a healer. You're putting together your tools. No matter what level you're on. De- uh, Deb or Anna or me or... Uh, a high school student or a three-year-old, and then at some point you hit the point where you're going to have to earn a living and have a career. And how does healing in a garden with snakes shake out (laughs) as a career? Uh, So I get all of this email, and people have all these different solutions. The most common is to become some kind of healer, a, a craniosacral massage therapist, we can actually have an office, mm-hmm. but in fact, you find out you actually don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. It's that—that's your favorite of your modalities. But you've got a bear now under your, under the table who's reaching up and healing. You've got you're teaching them dance and belly dance. I mean, this one woman, Ina, who was in my one of my first classes twenty or so years ago at San Francisco State. She was going to go to psych grad school, clinical psych grad school, and the project in the class was to use art music, blah, 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 blah. So she brought her mother who had just been abandoned by her father in a divorce Mm -hmm. and was severely depressed to class. And she sat her down in the center of our circle and she put a piece of music on and she danced love to her so everyone was crying. She'd never danced, she'd never done it before and it like blew her away. Then she went to grad school in clinic psych and had a major depression and quit. She didn't want to do it. Mm So she, so she emailed me, what do I do? So the answer is simple. What, what do they write on the internet? The natives used to ask the person who's sick, when did you stop dancing? You know that quote? So I basically said to her, what was the last moment of your life where you alive? And she said, dancing in your class. So I said, you got to do it right now. And then slowly, slowly, now she's a cranial a licensed massage therapist, cranial sacral therapy, works with bears and teaches belly dance classes and does it free in the community for women who are sexually abused as children. That's where she's finally gotten to. But Rolling Thunder earned his living completely as a conductor on the Union Pacific Railway. He said, you don't try to mix the two. You don't charge for sacred healing. It's a different modality. Your day job is here and then you're free. But let him give you cows, as my boys used to say.
1: Yeah, I got to say, I like that version a lot. That you, the way you earn a living is separate from the healing work. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's both what were. I did. But, I yeah.
2: never charged patients, but I wrote books. Yeah. And oh, I was you're lucky. You're a physician. Yeah, I was lucky enough to have books sell and support yeah. our mm-hmm. family at a low level. But And Bolinas was a little different then. It cost slightly less. Living blame as it does
1: now I suspect I found the uh, uh. the quote from Rilke. now remember the Hafiz quote about how you know this life is a boarding house and welcome on all these joys and sorrows this is a beautiful quote that a dear friend of mine who's uh, one of my most beloved friends uh, whose partner was just diagnosed with breast cancer and and they've been working in the Commonweal model of the Cancer Help Program for 30 years. And so her her partner was just diagnosed from Rilke. It seems to me that almost all our sadnesses, all our sadnesses are moments of tension, which we feel as paralysis, because we no longer hear our astonished emotions living. Mm-hmm. Because we are alone with the unfamiliar presence that has entered us because everything we trust and are used to is for a moment taken away from us, because we stand in the midst of a transition where we cannot remain standing. That is why the sadness passes. The new presence inside us, the presence that has been added, has entered our heart, has gone into its innermost chamber, and is no longer even there. It is already in our bloodstream and we don't know what it was. We could easily be made to believe that nothing happened, and yet we have changed, as a house that a guest has entered changes. We can't say who has come. Perhaps we will never know, but many signs indicate that the future enters us in this way, in order to be transformed in us long before it happens. And that is why it is so important to be solitary and attentive when one is sad. Mm -hmm. Because the seemingly uneventful and motionless moment when our future steps into us is so much closer to life than that other loud and accidental point of time when it happens to us as if from outside. The quieter we are, the more patient and open we are in our sadnesses, the more deeply and serenely the new presence can enter us. And the more we can make it our own, the more it becomes our fate.
2: See, for me, he's a visionary, intuitive healer. That's a description of what he actually saw. Right? Mm -hmm. So he saw this moment of sadness, the emptiness, the coming into his heart. He's describing an actual physical experience. And that's the experience that I have when I'm working with someone mm-hmm. is I can see when that woman's out of her body and she's talking to me, I look, I look for where she is and then I can sometimes see where she is and then I can say to her, where are you? And then I can see the thread. And then I go up and grab the, the male physician goes up and grabs her and pulls her down. Now I can say, you, you see where you are, come on down. And then, then she comes down, and then she. I can see when she gets in, and then, are you in? You say, are you in now? And I can see there's still pieces out, and I, and I say, go there right now. Take your hands and find the ones that are out and bring them back. And meanwhile, I'm seeing that like a film, kind of like that. So, for me, one of the things going on is that intuitive healing is deeply sensory. That. Mm it uses your eyes your ears your smell your sense and these are not senses that we usually we usually block them because they're real subtle mm-hmm. sometimes they can be like a three dimensional movie or something and then just but but these things constantly in the whole thing that we're moving through we're doing this so you're, you're there with the patient and you can see this wild thing going on around her All the lights, all their buddies' energies, all the loves, previous lifetimes, animals. It's like a crazy story. And, and you want to do the ones that are functional to you as a healer. You can, if they're, someone comes to me and their chief complaint is, supposed to be some kind of disease they have. That's what they're coming for. But the first thing they say out of their mind is, when I get very far out of my body and I'm just sitting here and I'm all the way at the top, I get really scared. And I go, okay, that's that's the chief complaint. Meanwhile, they've got an illness. That was the reason they came as a doctor. So my job there is to go out with them, see what's going on, see what they're scared of, let them see it, and deal with it. That's the treatment for that situation. So
1: It's so interesting. I've been reading... Um I don't have his name, but there was an 8th century peasant saint in China who, um, was, um, who discovered, he, he became very famous. He discovered that you know, acupuncture and herbs were expensive, and what he did was to invite people to come to him and tell them their story. And when they told him their story, this is actually called virtue healing. When, when, he, And it's very Asian. In fact, it's so interesting, I'm going to digress for a moment. Because in the West, when we talk about healing with cancer, for example, Larry LeCham, Find Your Own Song. So it's all about your creative individuality and following your bliss and all that creative individuality. In Asia, it's much more about returning to virtue. Um, And so this 8th century peasant saint would have people tell them their uh, stories, and they would see from their higher self how they had moved away from virtue. And they would go through the vomiting and all of that stuff. And he had incredible healings. And then the same translator who translated his work... um, Uh, also translated the work of a contemporary follower of his who is also doing the virtue healing and having extraordinary results. So, what fascinates me is how, for different individuals and different cultures, these ancient shamanic experiences translate in different ways. And, of course, in Western medicine now, you have narrative medicine in quotes which is a kind of a forgive me a kind of a neutering mm-hmm. a, a much less powerful version i mean it can be extraordinarily powerful for the individual but compared to connecting us to higher forces it is often not always but it often takes place in a in a more limited view it's um mm.
2: Yeah, I, I see a new medicine emerging with young people for this, and with you, and with... It's, it's, it's emerging right here in the room. Michael's always done it here. Mm-hmm. Michael, in a brave, courageous, and op- extremely open-minded way, mm-hmm. encouraged the birth of a new medicine. There was nothing. The, the things he was doing were impossibly... Mm-hmm. No one was doing cancer retreats with women with diet, mm-hmm. and it, it's... So I think... It's beautiful to imagine a culture where everyone is doing it. And you don't have to be, and where some people do it as a profession, specialists, I guess, and some people do it with the people I love and their family every minute and their animals and figure out new ways of doing it that have, maybe their roots are in virtue healing. And we can all see what virtue healing is. It's very Christian. in, in a strange way, but it's 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 um.
1: There it was Confucian.
2: Yeah, it's um, um, it's very real and but all of these limits on healing put on by our culture are very sad. It's a uh, limiting the bear dance to Indians to a form of one tribe, is very destructive. Mm. Limiting it to men as opposed to women. Um, I've spent 20 years trying to get women bear dancers in America, mm. in Indian tribes. It's really hard. Mm. Um, and that's got political reasons. And now I think there's going to be women's bear dances forming. Mm. I, I just heard there were four women wings in the bishop dance, which is one of the strictest dances. That's a big deal. That's that's something.
1: Um I want to ask Judith Lowry, who's with us and has had a lot of experience with herbs and plants and life itself um, coming to you in powerful forms. As you listen to this, any reflections? Oh, so many. Yeah, I'm
4: thinking that my path in life has allowed me to combine... As for you, Michael, and others, the sacred with my work um, with plants and trying to so that like our website has a, a list of plants that we are, make available native California plants and um, trying to convey this a sense of you know adoration for each species and. Um, that's just become you know a necessary practice for me. Um, so uh, I'm wondering why at this uh, at this age um, at, it's starting to kind of get dimmer. And um, I think it's partly because of reasons that you've talked about, that constraining me as a business person. So it's just been, that's
2: just one of many things, but. Mm. You know, the, the first thing we did when we came here was a prayer to four direct, six directions. And uh, for years I thought that the whole basis of everything we were doing was sacred space, was adoration, was you're adoring the plants is a visible action of an energy flow that comes from spirit to you, through your body, out of your body, into the plants, through the plants to us. And you can see it, it's kind of a thing. And without that, it's different. It's agribusiness. Mm-hmm. And so we're now in a situation, you know, Carl Jung used to tell this story. He went to the top roof of the Taos Pueblo at sunrise, and the chief did a prayer and everything. Carl Jung said to him, what are you doing? And he says, oh, I'm doing this prayer uh, for the sunrise. And Carl Jung says, what does it mean? And he says, oh, if we don't do the prayer, the sun isn't going to rise. So we have to do it for all of Earth and all beings. And Carl Jung's quote was, look how much we've lost. Mm -hmm. This man who has nothing in a poorest place, has the meaningfulness and coherence of his life is that he makes the sunrise, and I'm here kind of studying it, oh my God. <laughs> and it's like this what we're talking about, intuitive medicine, bears and gods, is a return to an attempt to sacredize your your whole universe and go beyond time and space into the one. And that's what it is because you're when you're loving these plants in adoration, that's superb that's like. You can feel it even when you're talking. It's like you can see things happening with lights it's very, very, very beautiful and that's feeds us all it heals us all, it heals the room, it heals everything.
1: Thank you you know, Commonwealth yeah. began forty one years ago with um, a vision of healing ourselves and healing the earth, and that's what we've been talking about and when we think, uh, you know, 41 years later in 2017 of where we are as a country and as an earth and as people. And um, all I can say is the need for healing is very profound. And um, and I think that um, the hope, uh, because I believe in hope, lies in going beyond materialist, Egoistic structures, um, and somehow recovering a sense of wholeness. And that uh, we've been talking about this sense of wholeness, and all the deep knowing that uh, it includes has been pushed to the margins and fragmented. And in a sense, uh, perhaps part of the great work for us now is to recover that wholeness and to bring it back wherever we can um, and um, Michael Samuels your work over uh, over 40 years in um, really holding that wholeness and practicing that wholeness as a physician as an artist uh, as a healer is an extraordinary body of work and um the fact that, that your roots are in Bolinas and that this is where you really found your way in uh, the Headlands Clinic and have now taught it, practiced it in uh, Greece and uh, across the United States. We're one of the founders of the modern healing arts, art as a healing force movement. Um, it's, a, it's a great contribution Thank you, Michael. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I'd just like to give you an opportunity um, in the last few minutes that we have together, um, what are what what reflections would you leave us with? what how How does this hold together for you?
2: Uh, we could end it the way where you pushed us, kind of. It's um, one of the bears I dance with says, ceremony is uh, carving out intentional time to be with Creator, okay, Mother Earth Creator. And so it's, it's sacred, uh, making sacred our whole life as an expression of love, and that's our healing. And uh, and making it three-dimensional, visual, sensorial, and alive, so that that's the actual physical experience we're in at
1: every moment,
2: and doing it within the forms that we're in. It's like, I think that's what the healing is. It's When I see miracles, I'm living living on a miracle island where half of the Greeks come like lords for baptisms, weddings, and for illness and prayers. They get off a ferry. They crawl on their hands and knees. They kiss the icon of the Virgin Mary, and they leave. The island Delos across is the miracle island where people had miracles all their life. The bear dance is a venue of people coming in the circle with these men in bearskins, ridiculous, and having miracles. So, Jean Watson is Watson Caring Science Institute. She's a nurse who's resacralizing nursing care. She basically says we need to be in a place of sacredness where we allow for miracles mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. and the
2: change of the form. So that seems to be where, um, where I'm, I am lucky enough to be when things aren't terrible around me. <laughs> and that's, that's, I guess, the, what I leave you with, is, is um, we all can do that in every moment, mostly except when we need healing. And then we need the folks who are a little... Uh, buzzing a little more to help us and then we're back and anyway enough thank you Michael
1: Michael Samuels you. thank you for being with us at the news love Nukes you school. brother love you
2: thank you all it's a Let long me. time to sit there and listen someday.
1: thank you Michael
2: thank you Michael yeah.
0: you've been listening to a TNS conversation with Michael Samuels and Michael Lerner Thank you for listening to TNS, The New School at Commonweal. The New School at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. And our theme music is by Suzanne Ciani. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, and Vimeo.